Hello everyone, my name is Ken Carter. I'm the uh, Bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church and I'm very blessed to be in a conversation today with uh, Dr. Candace Lewis, who is a member of the Florida Conference Cabinet, the Superintendent of the Gulf Central District, uh, former executive of all of our new church planting all over the world in the United Methodist Church, and, and the co-author of a wonderful book called Resurgence. Uh, and I wanted you to know about this book. And so we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, hello, Candace. Hey, Bishop Carter. How are you today? It's great. It's great to be with you. Glad to be uh, here. Just introduce yourself to those who are listening to us. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Again, as Bishop Carter said, I'm Candace Lewis. I love being in Florida. I'm a Floridian. I'm a, a graduate of the University of Florida, Go Gators, and been in ministry now for over 20, almost 24, 25 years. And so i uh I've been in ministry long enough to be able to kind of look back and see some things that I've learned and then also be able to look forward and still young enough to have enough energy to try to do some things moving forward. So I'm enjoying uh, being in ministry, uh, again, graduate of the University of Florida Seminary, uh, doctorate of ministry at Wesley Seminary, love life, love being again in Florida, and love have this opportunity to serve on your cabinet. Well, thank you, and it's, you're just a real gift to all of us. So we wanted to have a conversation about your book, Resurgence, okay. which you wrote with Rodney Smothers, yes. who is all, another great leader in our church. Uh, uh, tell us how you began to have the dream about the book and what, what's, it, what's it about? Awesome. Thanks, thanks for asking. So Resurgence is this idea that, uh, and even the word resurgence, it speaks about this uh, revival again. And it, it gives this idea that if you think about where churches have been, uh, that I'm sure most churches do have a time where they knew that they were very vital. I mean, whether it was vital in worship experience, vital in discipleship, vital in resources. So they know of a time where they've been vital, but then they also probably more recently have been experiencing a decline, whether it be decline in attendance, decline in giving. And in the midst of even the decline, what's happened is the whole landscape around the church has changed. I mean, so we've gone from like the industrial age, we're now living in a digital age. And to me, uh, this idea about resurgence, the metaphor that we've offered in the resources is idea about navigating. And I'm somebody who's traveled a lot and I'm very dependent on a GPS. Uh, and this GPS, it just kind of helps you acknowledge that I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow these signs and cues that I'm given here. And if I get a detour, I'm going to try to get back on track. And so that's what Resurgence offers is, is helping the church kind of navigate this changing kind of new ministry landscape. Right. And, and in the book, uh, you, you talk about uh, shifts that are going on yes. in the culture yes. and how that uh, requires a shift for us in leadership. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, I know a lot of leaders are listening to this podcast. As you would just wade into this conversation with them, where would you start in terms of the changes are all around us, but to but to, for the church to be more uh, renewed, revitalized, uh, where, where do we start? You know, actually where I start, Bishop, in this conversation is with an assessment tool that actually uh, is a part of the book, but it's in like the uh, addendum kind of information. But because I, I think that if churches don't actually know where they are start, what their starting point is, it's hard to kind of know how where they're going to go from here. So there's these five 
different places I think churches find themselves in. One is trailblazing. In this new ministry landscape, some churches are just blazing new trails. A second place churches find themselves are forging ahead, right? We're still using this kind of metaphor of movement. And so some churches are really forging ahead. They see the future and they're pushing towards it. They're making some changes, making some tough decisions. Some churches are actually just marking time. I mean, they're not going forward. They're not going backwards. They're just kind of standing in place, doing the same thing. They sing the same songs, have the same conversations. Uh, preacher preaches the same message. I mean, they're just really marking time. But also, I think some churches are actually going backwards. I mean, they're, they really realize that their best days are behind them, and they're trying to figure out how to move forward, but they usually are out of money, they're out of resources, they're out of people are getting older. It's just tougher, so they don't even have the energy to try to really navigate the changing landscape. And the last area that churches may find themselves in is this category I call finishing well. And I think we can change that conversation around uh, closing churches by just celebrating the fact that because some of the churches that I've had a conversation with about resurgence, like this one church, they were started in 1842. I mean, this church is pre-slavery ending. So they've experienced a resurgence from the end of slavery through the uh, Reconstruction, through pre-civil rights, post-civil rights. So this church has lived almost 150 years and so they might not be able to live into 2020 and beyond so how do they actually finish well and so anyway so i was saying all that to say in the resurgence conversation one of the starting places even before we jump into the shifts is to find out where a church finds itself assess where it finds itself and then begin to look at which one of these shifts do we want to kind of start with uh, to move forward and so that's kind of that's like the beginning conversation so the first shift is about uh going from the industrial age to the digital downloadable on-demand age. And so there's a, a real funny assessment tool that comes with that conversation too. And what it is is I ask church leaders to assess their personal relationship with technology. And so I'm looking at you right now. What kind of phone do you have there? It's an iPhone. What what model iPhone? You know, I don't know what, what it is. I tend <laughs> not to have the latest one. I got you. Okay, so there, so, so there are these five categories I think people right. have a personal relationship with technology. Some right, people have... Right. Uh, some technology, yeah. uh, cutting edge technology, right, right. current technology, or no technology. But what's interesting is oftentimes people's relationship with technology personally is more advanced than their church's relationship with technology. Right. And so That's we begin. A great insight. Yeah, and so we begin to acknowledge now. So personally, you. So another question I would ask is how many digital TVs do you have at home? Uh, a couple. Couple. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, like more than three, you think? No, just a couple. Okay, yeah. just a yeah. case. He's, he's yeah. going to hold to two. All right, that's fine. <laughs> and I had this conversation yeah. with one, yeah. one family. They had like six TVs at home. Wow. I said, wow, that's great. Every room. I mean, they got these real fancy uh, 4K TVs. And I said, right. well, how many TVs are at the church? Right. They're like, you know, those old analog like TVs you roll out on the cart. That's what they had right. at the church. And again, right. I was like, now why would, so there's a gap. And so how do we create, uh, how do we bring the church into a current relationship with technology? And so we had this other conversation about Wi-Fi. And I said, well, again, how many people have Wi-Fi at home? They raise their hands. How many people have Wi-Fi at the church? They don't have Wi-Fi. Right. I said, isn't it interesting? Panera has Wi-Fi. McDonald's has Wi-Fi. Right. Starbucks has Wi-Fi. Why? Right. Wi-Fi is like a matter of hospitality. Right. So you got to post a code. I said, just like you pass out church fans, you got to pass out the Wi-Fi code. Right. Because it's a matter of hospitality. Like young people are sitting there like, seriously, you want me to come to your church, be here for two hours, and I got to burn my own data? That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, they, they can't identify. So anyway, that just gives you some of the things yeah. we talk about in that shift number one around the industrial age to the digital age and helping churches see right. that there's a gap oftentimes 
between where we are personally and where our church is. So how does how do we actually close that gap and experience a can experience a resurgence in that particular area? Yeah, and uh, and you talk about uh, in the book you talk about the need for the church to experience a resurgence, mm-hmm. uh, and you uh, have a heritage in the black church. Yes. But but God has just used you to really be a leader across every kind of church. Mm-hmm. And so when you were writing this book, were you how were you seeing uh, the black church, and how were you seeing uh, other kinds of churches? Well, that's again great question. And so, is the book written only for the black church? I would say no. Right. Do I think the book is re- do I think the book is relevant to black churches? Absolutely. Do right. I think it's relevant to non-black churches or Anglo churches or Latino churches? I'd say yes. It actually that's, is. Absolutely. Actually, one of my colleagues, our colleagues, Michael Beck, actually wrote this great review today on mm-hmm. Facebook about resurgence and how he's going to use it yeah. in his church. So I think resurgence probably fits a particular church size. I think a church like 200 or under mm-hmm. can probably identify with resurgence. That's a church that's not staffed. It's usually a pastor and some lay people, maybe a part-time secretary or something like that. So I do think it's relevant for a particular church size. Um, and that's almost all of our churches. I know, right? It is. Right. <laughs> it yeah. is. Right. Across the U.S., yeah. across right. every tradition. Right. But I do want to say, though, I am a product of the black church. I mean, right. and I grew right. up in the United Methodist Church. And, I mean, I just love the, the black church uh, family and, and the way that people nurtured me and cared for me and and gave me opportunities and exposed right. me to uh, training events and seminars and conferences and all that kind of stuff and so I, I'm I do want to help see the black church continue to experience a resurgence uh, simply because to me it's almost like my gift back to the church who gave yeah. me and my family so right. much right well what I thought one of the most compelling parts of the book was, uh, you're talking about the transition from the civil rights movement to Black Lives Matter. Yes. And for those who are listening, uh, sh- just share with them a bit of wh- what's what you see in that 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 we would be- benefit from. Well, again, thanks for asking that question. So again, I was um, the feedback that I got just this morning from one of my. Uh, white colleagues about that chapter he said that was just really helpful in helping me understand in some ways the journey that the black church may find itself on or or, or this journey that you know black leaders have found themselves on and his desire is to lead a multicultural church and he said that chapter was helpful for him in that regard and so in that chapter we talk about the fact that in 2020 and beyond churches are very intergenerational and so you have people from the civil rights generation people from the black consciousness generation people from the integrationist generation like i'm an integrationalist where i didn't always go to integrated schools i went to integrated schools like in middle school and beyond and so and have benefited from the the all of the changes in society that the previous generations fought for and then you have black millennials and then you have like this generation z but today and each generation values something different. Right? And it's not different from the uh, Strauss and Howe's de- de- definition of generations, builders, boomers, uh, builders, boomers, like then Gen X and then millennials. So similar, but it, but the, the, the way we describe it in that chapter, we, we create a, help you understand the black church context or black leaders context and, and how, uh, how leadership arose in the civil rights movement but how there's leaders today that are that are addressing similar issues 
uh, but leaders see it, younger leaders see it very differently now. So when we see leaders in addressing issues of gun violence and police brutality, uh, whether they're under the umbrella of the Black Lives Matter movement or just addressing them as young, young adults, young black adults, uh, it's, it's just this reality that every generation sees something different, every generation values something different, and every generation addresses issues differently. And so in that chapter, most churches, though, can have three to four generations at the same time in the same room. Mm -hmm. And some of the older people, they value certain things different from a younger generation, but oftentimes they'll have a conversation out of their own value system, but they're not aware that it's just their value system. They somehow want to see, like, that's actually the way it is. And so what we're trying to do in that chapter is recognize the values of each generation, celebrate the values of each generation, but recognize in the church today, it's intergenerational. Every value is at the table. For example, this older adult uh, who's from like the civil rights generation, black consciousness generation, they were talking to this young black millennial and all they remember him is like a little kid in the church. And they're like, hey, Ray Ray, you know, you're just a little kid. Now, mind you, Ray Ray got a mortgage. I mean, Ray Ray's got kids. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Ray yeah. Ray's got student loans. I mean, right. Ray Ray's a young adult right. in, in all facets of life. Right. But this older adult just sees Ray Ray as like a little kid. Right. But Ray Ray wants to be at the church. But if you're not going to acknowledge and respect the fact that Ray Ray is an adult that pays bills, that contributes to the life of the church, that contributes to the life of society. And so we're just wanting to break down those barriers that that hinder churches from having more intergenerational conversations. So that's what we try to do in that chapter, value celebrate the values of each generation, celebrate the differences of each generation, then also talk about how we can work together. Yeah, so yeah. that's that. That's great. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask a couple of uh, additional questions. Okay. And uh, they're sort of related to conversations we've had. Uh, and the first one is you were one of the two co-leaders of uh, the recent uh, Southeastern Jurisdiction Gathering of Clergy Women, mm -hmm. which... Uh, uh, from the outside looking in, looked like an amazing, uh, uh, just kairos moment, mm -hmm. uh, a gathering. Uh, and so, as you th as you think about what you put into the to the resurgence book, and then being in the presence of that particular group of leaders, uh, you led that along with uh, uh, Dr. Nancy Rankin. What? Um, how do you connect those two parts of your of your world? You know, I, I think uh, I always go back to the book of Esther mm -hmm. and how women are called to the kingdom for such a time as yeah, this. Yeah. And and so we are grateful for the support that we had of you know leaders like yourself and other bishops and conference leaders that supported that gathering of clergy women. But that was an important gathering. I mean, right. because at the, in that gathering, there were that was the first time we had all six female bishops in the southeastern jurisdiction together. Uh, they, they engaged us in honest conversation. And so it modeled for us um, just this. Cause, and, and, and the cool part about it is there was also women that were there that knew of a time when if you across all jurisdictions, uh, across all conferences in the southeastern jurisdiction, there was a time where you didn't have 30 clergy women in a room together. So to see that 300 were together, right, that was impacting. Yeah. I mean, so we were, we as clergy women were experiencing a resurgence of sorts, right. and, and we created an intergenerational conversation. This one amazing lady uh, who was one of the early leaders of this clergy women's gathering, she came up and told stories to us, and we, we celebrated her. She said they would call her uh, 
gosh, mother, pastor, or something like that. She was just great. It was a funny story. Nancy knows her more closely than I did. But she told stories of, of again, why this gathering came together. And so, and then um, pe people like uh, Bishop Charlene Cameron, she was the first uh, female bishop elected in the southeastern jurisdiction. She comes from Florida. And then she told about you know, just the, 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 that it hasn't been an easy road for women. And so in that meeting, we were able to create intergenerational conversations, share stories. So we don't take for granted that it was 300 clergy right. women gathered yeah. together because literally 30 years ago, there wasn't 50 clergy women gathered right. together. And so anyway, so it just created this, this, this intergenerational conversation, which I think is very, very important, which we lift up in resurgence. But I really try to lift that up across uh, platforms that I lead in because people are living longer, and so we have to figure out how to value every generation. I like what you're doing, too, with reverse mentoring. And so we were able to kind of create, I think, intergenerational conversations begin to create also reverse mentoring conversations where, where younger people can help older adults and older adults can help younger people. And then we can just kind of stay together. So I think it's important for us yeah. to kind of stay together, yeah. and so that, that helps us stay together. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was a remarkable gathering, and it thank was, you for for leading it. And, and I've also heard you say um, the talking about our the United Methodist Church and the churches that have been streams that have flowed into this United Methodist Church, one of them being um, uh, the black church. Mm -hmm. And you talked about one time about that that was a, that was, that was a mature church. Uh, that mature in terms of it had it had maturity to contribute and for me that that's I think that's um, a way I would understand why resurgence is important uh, so I think I think the question I'd want to ask you is um, what's at stake in in what you and Rodney have done mm -hmm. and you're doing this work in the northeast jurisdiction the western jurisdiction and our own jurisdiction you've been in Alabama you've been in California you know you're you are a leader in this in this work but for you what's at stake mm -hmm. well first off thanks for just acknowledging that because in some ways the statement that you just made that asked a question or 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 raises this awareness of the contributions of the black church to the United Methodist Church, period. You know, we've made contributions, period. Uh, that's 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 great, and I think in some ways Resurgence wants to just offer that to the church and help the church understand that we can learn from everybody. And so you can you can be a, a non-white leader, but read a black church's story and experience, and still find um, find. Uh, find insights that you can actually glean from. Like there's one story in the book called Tragedy in the Streets where we talk about this uh, young person had gotten shot in the neighborhood and, and how the church responded and there was this one pastor who was very distant and then there was a younger pastor who just jumped in there and just kind of helped out. And that was just one story. Mm -hmm. That's not a black story. That's not a white story. That's just a, a, a human story that right, happens right. in every city. And right. so in that we're trying to raise the awareness with churches that are in communities that so what's the tragedy that's happening in your community right you know where's your community hurting where's your community just kind of bleeding and what can you do about it and in some ways so going back to your, your point that says what's at stake um as we accept the fact and you're very good about that you, i mean you're you're 
you've helped us just not be nostalgic and really mm-hmm. work at being adapted. Like we just, you, you got to let go of, mm-hmm. I love your an analysis of the state of Florida and how, you know, there was a time when there was going to be like this influx of people in Florida. Now Florida grows from the South up. There is just not this influx of people. So, so with that growth not happening, it doesn't mean that the church is not still relevant. Mm-hmm. So when you ask right. the question, what's at stake? What's at stake is, how do we help the church see its next wave or see its next opportunity? And I think right. Resurgence tries to say that's going to be you engaging in the community. That's going to be you engaging intergenerationally. That's going to be you engaging uh, the needs of your community. That's going to be pastors moving from being caretaking pastors and really being catalytic right. leaders. Because right. there are people all there are lots of people all around that hadn't that don't know Jesus yet and. And, and would love benefiting from healthy church community. And so how do we make internally the church healthy so externally as we reach out and in relevant ways, people really can connect with Christ and connect with church and grow in Christian community uh, in ways that are going to be transformative, just like it was before, but we're just going to go about it differently yeah, yeah. now. And I think that's what Resurgence tries to do. So what's at stake is we have to do church differently now. Here's one way to enter into it. Resurgence isn't an end-all, be-all, but it just offers one path forward, right. one way to navigate, and, uh, and and that's what I think churches need. We just yeah. need to find a way to navigate forward. Right. Right. Well, thank you, Candace. And the book is Resurgence, Navigating the Changing Ministry Landscape by Candace Lewis and Rodney Smothers. And I hope those who are listening will uh, get a copy of this book. Uh, if they're, if they're clergy, that they'll read it and then find a, a way. You talk in the book about moving from solo leadership to team ministry. Mm-hmm. Find a layperson, two or three, and read that with. But this is really for the recovery of a resurgent church. So thank you, Candace. Thank you, Bishop Carter, for the opportunity to share in the conversation. And again, the book can be ordered on Amazon, so it's easy to get. And I uh, look forward to being in conversation with you. If you want to be in conversation with me, just hit me up on Facebook. Uh, send me a message and we'd love to just create a a broader conversation. Amen. Amen. Thank you.